Welcome back to the After Contract Hours podcast, the show where we clock out at work to check in on the well-being of the world. In today's episode, we explore the nuances of comprehensive health education with a keen focus on emotional health. But what exactly is emotional health? More than just the absence of mental illness, emotional health encompasses our ability to navigate the ups and downs of life, to manage stress, to build meaningful relationships, and most importantly, to understand and express our own emotions in a healthy way. We dive deep into the realm of emotional health guided by a very special guest and incredible friend of mine who generously shares her personal journey. From grappling with an identity crisis in early childhood to navigating the complexities that accompanied her into adulthood, she paints a vivid picture of resilience, growth, and self-discovery. Join us as we embark on this transformative exploration, shedding light on the importance of emotional well-being. This conversation transcends the individual experience, offering insights that resonate with anyone on a quest for authenticity and a deeper understanding of themselves. Before we dive deep into the heart of today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to convey my gratitude. Guys, thank you so much for being an integral part of this community and for joining me on this enriching journey. If you find value in what you hear today, I encourage you to share the love by liking, sharing, and subscribing. Your support is the heartbeat of this podcast. Additionally, if you discover that this episode may not resonate with you directly, please consider passing it along to someone who might find it beneficial. Together, we can extend the reach of valuable insights and contribute to the well-being of those around us. So today we have an amazing guest with us today. She's one of my best friends. She was in my wedding. Um, I was in hers just last year. We navigated all the wedding um, adventures together. Super fun. We've known each other for about six years, five, six years, and she's just someone so near and dear to my heart. So this is Sydney. Um, I reached out to a bunch of my friends as I started this podcast and because I, I just knew I wanted all of them on my podcast at some point because I know that each of you in my life have such a powerful story, stories. And Sydney was one of them that I reached out to right away early on with this process. And I asked her, which health category would you be confident sharing? And what story do you want to put out there to help people? And after talking, it came up that I think identity crisis is a fantastic topic. And I think my high school students, middle school students, even young adult college students and above, even adults well into our 30s, 40s, like we go through this too. Mm -hmm. So... I'm so excited to hear her story about this. She's got a lot of golden nuggets and just great depth to provide with us. So, Sid, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick to the world. Hello, world. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like Courtney said, uh, we've been friends for about five or six years now. Um, I am 26, married to the love of my life. Shout out, Ethan. Mm. Um, I'm a dog mom of three. Um, <clears throat> hoping to be a child mom at some point. Amen. <laughs> Working on that. Um, Career-wise, I am currently a sales trainer for a marketing firm in downtown St. Louis. Um, and what else is interesting about me? Um, I'm a diehard Swifty. So yes! if any of your followers don't like Taylor Swift... <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. We're like, we're no longer associated. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think I literally just texted Sydney side note yesterday or two days ago mm-hmm. telling her that I think I officially am on that bandwagon Come also. To the good side. We watched her, well, he fell asleep, but I started her reputation um, tour mm-hmm. on Netflix. Today's the last, babe, today's the last day for it. I don't know if you care, but we have to watch it in full. It's pretty good. Ah, and then I watched her documentary again. I'm like totally on board with it. So she's great. I actually, this is super random too, but since you mentioned this with Swifty, so <laughs> the other day when I first started watching her Eras tour, two of my other girlfriends aside from you are also like diehard mm-hmm. Swifty fans, and um, I, I think I feel like last year was the first time that I was I learned that you were like mm-hmm. I just never thought I never knew that about you, mm-hmm. and but you of. The other two who are diehard Swift fans, you by far are like uh, above that. And I, I'm not knocking that in a way. It's a beautiful two thing. Two Taylor Swift tattoos. It's amazing. <laughs> so I was watching this Eras tour and I don't know, I think it was a part where she gave her hat to mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant's daughter. Yeah. Oh my God, I was weeping. Chills. Yes. Yes. Goose pump jar. Um, I literally thought in that moment, it was like I was putting myself in her shoes. Like if that were just me. And again, I'm not even, I wasn't even a diehard fan of Taylor's, but in this moment I was like inserting myself here. I swear to you, my immediate next thought was I wouldn't deserve to be in those shoes. And if I had a ticket to be that person, I would give it to Sydney. That totally (laughs) crossed my mind. I literally basked in that moment. I know I was excited to tell you that I did. I was crying and staring at the screen. I was like, Sydney, this <laughs> I love her I love her so much it was good it was so good um so yeah we're gonna be talking about identity crisis which may sound like a very intimidating or dramatic term to some people and you can take it however you want but we're gonna be exploring different chapters of Sydney's life and how she um, navigated those waters of understanding who she was her emotions at that time um, and then how she prospered through to who she is today, which I would not be friends with her today if she wasn't the most amazing human that she is. So I'm probably going to learn some new insight from you too that I just don't know. And I'm super pumped about that also. So I think what's really important is that we start with the first chapter of your life. So like, tell us who little Sydney was. Like who were you growing up? Um, so little Sydney... Uh, my parents were divorced. Um, they got divorced when I was two, I believe, very, very young. Um, <clears throat> and so I grew up in, you know, separated households, which was my normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never really known anything differently. Um, I went to Catholic school for the better part of my life. Um, kindergarten to sophomore year of high school, I went to Catholic school, which anyone who's ever gone to private school or Catholic school can um, attest that it's a very, um, you know, you learn a lot, but you struggle with like that sheep mentality. Everybody is very much the same way, wears the same clothes, does the same things. Um, And I think that's really like where my identity crisis stemmed from. Um, But outside of, you know, going to Catholic school, I also grew up doing sports. Um, I also danced. Um, I played soccer, basketball, volleyball. Um, I ran track, cross country, and then I was a competitive dancer as well. All the things. All of the things. Wow. Yes. Um, <clears throat> which, sorry to interrupt, which is so funny because today 
you are married to a PE teacher, a very yes. athletic human being. Yes. And you always joke about how unathletic you are, but you are not. You are, like, <laughs> in fact, quite the opposite. Identity crisis. Yes, yes. <laughs> Like, you are so athletic. And it's so funny because I was like, I'm terrible at volleyball. Like, and it's like, no, you're amazing in all yeah. the sports that you did. So it's funny. Yeah, yeah. And, like, my parents always did a really, really great job of affirming me and making me feel good about, um, you know, how I was in school. They always told me I was pretty and beautiful and perfect and all of that. Um, but I still was always just like seeking out, um, like affirmations from other people. And I think growing up, like being surrounded by, you know, when you go to a private school, you, there's a certain type of, um, people that are, that can afford, I guess, going mm -hmm. to those types of schools. Um, and, I struggled with like the idea of my parents not being able to afford maybe the same things as other people's and so um, that's kind of where it stemmed from but also like you know behind that maybe these kids parents could pay for like private lessons or maybe they could mm -hmm. be part of club teams so they would perfect their skills at certain activities or sports or maybe they had outside tutoring and so they were able to do better in school and so I was always comparing myself mm. to those individuals um, and I tried so hard to be like that. Um, I never struggled with like making friends. I was always friends with those people but I still just never felt super confident and comfortable in who I was in that point in my life. Mm. That's, that's what was going to be my next question was like socially, how do, how would you define yourself? So, and obviously you're, have great people skills, like you have a fantastic personality, super approachable, um, and warm. So would you say that socially, like it, it wasn't hard for you to make friends in that sense, but internally you were just like, do I belong Yeah, with that yeah, group? Yeah. Always. Yeah. I mean, I've always had a lot of friends. I've always been blessed with, you know, I, I shouldn't say being well-liked, but being able to get along with basically everybody. I get mm -hmm. told a lot that I um, am not approachable because of how my face is, but I <laughs> promise <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a super nice individual. Yes. Um, and so I've never really struggled with that, but I've always struggled with like what groups do I belong in, where mm -hmm. do I belong, um, and like, you know, who who is actually like a true friend to me, who would be around, um, you know, if something crazy happened, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like those are always just abnormal thoughts that are like going yeah. through my mind. Um, and that has definitely gotten better as I've grown up and matured. But like, I mean, I haven't talked to a single person I went to high school with mm -hmm. since the day I graduated. I don't really talk to anybody I ever went to grade school with. Like, yeah. I just was never, I don't think, super, super comfortable and confident in my friend groups at that time. And I never really identified who I was until recently. So. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what's so interesting, what's coming to my mind as I hear you is, like, I didn't go to a Catholic school. I'm mm -hmm. always public. So I never had the uniformity, you know, with clothes or behaviors or those extremely high expectations, right, of how you're supposed to be as a human in a school setting and so it's so cool for me to hear this different life experience mm -hmm. that I have no relevance to or relatability to because when you just think of something so seemingly simple like to me it seems like a simple thing to you not maybe because you were in you lived it but like wearing the same outfit every day yep. put you in this box of yep. like you have to be this person and because I'm wearing this I have to act 
to a certain standard or mm-hmm. behave to a certain standard. Can you elaborate a little bit more on like your your experience with that like sheep feeling, um, being in that box, just with the simple uniformity of being at a Catholic school? Like yeah, yeah. So like yes, you do have to wear a uniform, which you know means you look like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So like on the outside looking in, you wouldn't think that somebody would struggle with like identity crisis and that but then there's the little things like the shoes you know like maybe my shoes were from Payless and other people's shoes were from Nike or whatever and then there's like how you do your hair and Mm. like the the accessories that you put in your hair and maybe you're getting away with putting a little bit of makeup on and just like those little things that us females Mm -hmm. (laughs) notice um and that like you know make you at that pivotal time in your life start to question and like doubt and compare um and so yes I did have to wear a uniform growing up um but there there was just little outliers that made me start to compare myself yeah well it I mean that type of a situation I think in comparison to my experience for example like clothes and accessories like that's a huge expression Mm -hmm. of your personality that you at our young critical age like you said at that point in our life is ever so slightly starting to develop Mm -hmm. and we're you know evolving into our identity when we're in middle school Mm -hmm. elementary like slowly but surely right but like when I think about it yeah like I compared myself to for sure to kids who wore whatever they wanted to in a public school setting you know if my clothes were tattered compared to the Aeropostale or Mm -hmm. stuff like that but that's such a different spin on it as an upbringing perspective of like you had to look a certain way, which also made me think like Alex Earl, I listened to her, one of her recent episodes, mm-hmm. like she went to a private mm-hmm. school, but they could not wear makeup and she shares how she got called out. You can't, but so you got away it, with it. Yeah, you, you could get away with it. Yeah. But like, could you wear accessories in your hair? Like what was the level of strictness with you could wear You could wear headbands if they were a part of like your uniform skirt color. So like I went to... I went to three different schools growing up, which probably Mm. is important to this topic. Um, But my first one, our uniforms were, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time, um, blue, red, and white. Mm -hmm. And so you could wear headbands that were like ponytail holders that were the same color as your skirt. Um, No like flashy earrings or anything like that. Um, I just don't even know if you were allowed to wear earrings at all. Um, the socks had to be white or black. Um, you couldn't explore that at all. Your shoes had to be the same color as your uniform. Um, Mm. and then that was pretty much the same rule for both Catholic schools that I went to. I did go, I probably should have shared this, but I did actually go to a public school for one year. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was in sixth grade, my parents moved from, um, Chesterfield to St. Charles, which for those of you that don't know is like 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't go to the same school and my parents decided, um, you know, she's gone to Catholic school for six years. Let's try to send her to a public school for a year. Um, and you on board with that as a kid, I was, yeah, I was super excited about it because one thing about like going to Catholic school is a lot of times the kids that go to public schools and the areas that are around you play on your same sports teams. Mm. Um, and so I had known, you know, some of the the kids already and I was excited to you know potentially just yeah get a different feel for things however this it was middle school which is like (laughs) as you know Mm -hmm. one of the most like pivotal times in your 
you know, upbringing um, and like identifying who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I started sixth grade going to a public school and the types of individuals that I typically would have hung out with or spent time with in a private school were not the types of individuals that I was welcomed mm. with in a public school. The, they, you know, they were, they were a clique. They already had, you know, the same people that they had been hanging out with for years, which I understand. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, anytime there was a new kid in school, it was, it was always the same feeling, right? But like, those are the types of individuals that I was so used to spending my time with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I gravitated towards like, who's going to be the nicest to me, which ended up being interestingly enough, um, some of like, you know, the goth or like emo mm-hmm. type of kids, which yeah. in sixth grade, like, you know, it, we take that a little lightly, but, right. um, because they were nice, you know, they were welcoming. They never made me feel like an outlier, but then I started to change who I was to adapt to who they were. And I remember my parents being like, who is this girl? Like culture shock. We joke about it now, but my mom grounded me for like three months because I was dark and weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, she, it's so funny now. Like she says it and I'm like, yeah, three I mean, I months? Won three months. I wasn't allowed to do anything or hang out with anybody because they, I mean, I was, how old are you when you're in sixth grade? Like 12. 12 yeah. I was 12 and I was just a completely different person. Like so, so, so strange. Like wearing eyeliner, like down to here. Wearing those weird studded belts, like. Do you have a picture of this? So I no, can... I made sure Dang that it. they're gone. <laughs> so <laughs> if I did a little exploring, <laughs> they're gone <laughs> forever. I promise. Um, just oh weird gosh. clothes, and it was, you know, it was because like I just didn't, I didn't know who I was. Like yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of something, and I wanted to feel welcomed and appreciated by a certain group of people, and I did. You know, eventually my parents were like, "This isn't working out. Just going back to private <laughs> school." <laughs> and so. I did go to a different private school in seventh grade and I spent two years um, at a private school in St. Charles where I had a really, really great group of friends. Um, And I would say that that experience in private school was much better than the one that I had had previously. Um, But how so? Yeah. If you had to put a little bit of context to that. Um, I don't know if it was because I was older or if I had already kind of like experienced a culture shock myself but I just felt I think a little bit more comfortable that transition Um, and it was just also a completely different like geographical area Mm. um it didn't feel as like uppity Mm -hmm. as the previous school okay um and I I wouldn't say that people were nicer like I everyone was nice I just Mm -hmm. felt I think I felt more comfortable yeah and I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly why but I think it was just multiple things Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure that transition, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you went to a public school, you had that experience, you know, and then going back to what your true normal was, like Mm -hmm. you'd already been at a Catholic school. So just kind of adapting back to what you were comfortable with. Um, I think that's usually, it just, it blows my mind. It's a perspective I never thought of in regard to identity crisis, like how different a Catholic school experience versus a public school, because truly having that freedom to express yourself in so many different ways, um, could be easier for people to be confident with themselves or not, right? Like other, there might be other people that have opposite views on that, but that's really interesting to me because I've never had that. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, this might be a stupid question and I'm all for those. So because I was never a Catholic school student, 
So when there's all this uniformity, mm-hmm. right, is it because the school is trying to make all of you behave like a definition of a child of God and like you all need to be the same person? Or what, do you know what the reasoning for all of the uniformity truly is? No. Okay. Okay. No, that makes me <laughs> feel better because I'm just like, no, like, I don't. Are you ever told that as you're a student? No, you're just told to do this and... Yeah, no. I mean, you just... There's, there was never much of a deeper meaning behind anything. It was just always like, do this, do mm-hmm. this, do this, do this or else. Um, and a lot of like, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm religious, uh, you know, I believe in God and all of that, but like, there's a reason why I wouldn't step foot in the Catholic church anymore. And a mm-hmm. lot of it is because I, when I was growing up, I feel like I was forced to do certain things, but was never given the reason yeah. or meaning behind why I had to do certain things. Like, you know, you're sending a nine-year-old to confession. Like, what are they going to confess? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I left food in my room last yes. night. Go say 10 Hail Marys and the Lord will forgive mm. you. Like, it was just those types of things. And, you know, you're going to mass every Wednesday and every Friday and it's the sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand, kneel, like, and at that age, yeah, and then you're, uh, you have to be, like, an altar girl, or an altar boy, and, you know, serve during the mass, and all that, and it just, I, like, at the time, I was just, like, this is normal, you know, Mm -hmm. but now that I'm grown up, I'm, like, but why, yeah, you know, but, like, why, why Mm -hmm. did we have to do all that, other than being a child of God, or being accepted into heaven, or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, like, I just never, really understood why we needed to be a certain way or do certain things right well that that shocks me and like being a teacher thinking again I know nothing so don't whoever's listening to this like don't take this as factual it's just my perspective but like being a teacher thinking like teachers at a catholic school they would relay like hey we want you to do this because you know there should be a method to the madness and in life, no matter what age you are, like we're going to be more motivated to do things if we have justification for it and it yeah. makes sense to us. So I can only imagine being a young, impressionable child, having to do all these regimens and just being like going through the motions. And I've, you've shared with me before too that like that experience of your school has kind of it challenged or tested your faith, right? Like yeah. not not believing in God per se, but just like what path you want to go down as you got older yeah. because of the forcing. And I have a lot of friends who went to Catholic as a kid and they were just like oh nope some people love it again not knocking yeah but it's just like when you learn not to get super religious but like when you get removed from that and you learn like what faith is actually all about and like the power of god like i just can't seem to be okay with the idea of he would want or he whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) would want like that being forced upon young children without any sort of explanation. Like right. that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem godly. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems forceful. It's like aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not hating on Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be who I was today if it wasn't for that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm like, I hope that it's getting better as we're evolving as mm-hmm. a society. It's just, the experience that I had wasn't incredible. Yeah, and I but I truly have heard that a lot. And again, I work in a public school and I attend a public school and we struggle just as much. Like we have a lot of our own issues. It's just really interesting even just for me to learn how that was because that, that does shape a lot of who people are when they have that experience. And that is you didn't really have the freedom to 
explore things on your own mm-hmm. at a young age. And I can't imagine how that feels. Like I've never had an identity crisis similar to that, right? So that's just really enlightening for me. Yep. So thank you for elaborating on that because I didn't know all that yes. about you even as a good friend. So that was young Sydney. Let's kind of mm-hmm. focus on high school Sydney, like growing up in your adolescence. So what was that like for you? Yeah, so high school, um, I, went to, I went to a private school for one year. Um, and then my sophomore year of high school, it was kind of a mutual decision between me and my parents that I was gonna go to a private high school or a public high school. Um, which I had a great experience in high school um, because I had already known a lot of the people um, that I went to high school with because I went to public school with them for a year back in sixth grade. Yeah. And so it was kind of a rekindling of a lot of relationships. But what's interesting is the people that I hung out with in high school were the ones that I couldn't really click with in mm. middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all kind of evolved a little bit. But in high school, um, I you know, was a three-sport athlete. Um, I had a great friend group. I always joke and say that I peaked in high school. I was definitely like a partier and I went to all of the games and I just, I had the time of my life in high school. It was great. Aww, was um, and I mean, not to get too deep, but like the last, I would say year and a half of my high school, I got into a relationship that I regret now, mm-hmm. but it's really defined like who I am. Right. Um, and I think you know, the two and a half years that I wasn't in that relationship, I really, really, really was like happy with who I was, Mm. um, in the friendships that I had and in the clothes that I wore and the decisions that I was making Mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, and then I got into this relationship and I just feel like I completely lost who I was. Yeah. So, um, that's who I was in high school, partier, three sport athlete, really fun time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I, I ended up not going to the same, like everybody went to like a big state school. So either Mo State or Mizzou. Um, and I knew that if I went to one of those schools, I probably wouldn't have focused on the important things in life. So I ended up making a responsible decision and not doing that. (laughs) So I went to a small college locally. Um, yeah. So what were, um, I might be getting ahead of myself, but for some reason, in my brain, I thought it was high school pageants. Was that when you pageants? Did? Yes. Is that high school? Yeah, it's a pretty big detail. I forgot. To yeah. No. Yeah. About. Tell us about that um, part. So my, what year was that? It would have been my junior year. Um, I started doing pageants, uh, which I don't regret doing. Mm-hmm. But when I look back at that part of my life, I'm like, what? What were you? <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, But, so my mom had gotten, like, an invitation in the mail for me to do Miss Missouri Teen USA, which for anyone who doesn't know, the Miss USA organization is owned by the Miss Universe organization, Mm. which is, there's, like, Miss Universe and Miss America. Those are, like, the two biggest pageant systems in the world. Um, And so... I was invited to do Miss Missouri Teen USA. I didn't really think anything big of it, but my mom took me dress shopping um, and got me all excited. And so I entered the pageant knowing absolutely nothing about Mm -hmm. pageants, absolutely nothing. And just how much goes into the preparation, how much everything costs, the Mm. brands to wear, the people to go to to get your hair and makeup done. Like Mm. just, I knew nothing. Mm. I was a rookie. Um, and 
so that was my my first pageant was in like the teen division Mm -hmm. um and I think there was roughly like 78 to 80 girls that were competing um in the teen portion and I ended up like getting top 15 which is like not that big of a deal but kind of a big deal when it's your first year yeah and 80 um, people and so I was like okay you know maybe I am gonna be like really good at this and it was also something that nobody else I knew did Mm -hmm. and so like I couldn't I couldn't compare myself to Mm. any of my friends in this um because it wasn't a sport you know it wasn't an extracurricular activity that they could be like ahead of me on Mm -hmm. um this was something that like nobody else I knew did and I thought you know I could be pretty good at this and so I I wouldn't say I got addicted but I was like this is my thing like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do this now um and so that was my first year and then my second year I competed in the adult division because I was 18 mm-hmm. so I could have done either teen or adult but I wanted to go adult um just because like in the teen you're competing with anywhere from like 14 to 18 which we yeah. all know is very there's a it's a different you know type yeah. of age range to to compete with so I just felt weird like competing against people that the were babies. in middle school yeah yeah um and so I, I competed in the adult division for four years um and it was great, you know, like I got to wear beautiful dresses, I perfected interview skills, um, I had a lot of great experiences, got to meet a lot of photographers, got my makeup done a lot, like just the girly things that <clears throat> I really, really loved. And that you were hindered from exploring from a young, young age. Yes. Being yes. in that box, yeah. Yes, 1000%. Um, and it taught me just like how to be uncomfortable, because uh, I mean... like talking about it now it's a little bizarre but like I'm getting on stage in a bikini at 19 years old and Mm -hmm. six inch heels and walking in front of hundreds if not like a thousand people like Mm -hmm. and to anybody else that's like oh that's creepy but to me I was like I feel great right now in confidence yeah the best yeah it was awesome um and so I did that for like I said like four or five years um I stopped pageantry is extremely political Mm. um and so typically if you place like you know top 15 maybe two years in a row like you're most likely going to place top five the following year and then maybe you place top five your third second runner-up you're probably in the chance for getting the title or the crown the following year Mm -hmm. um and so there was one year where I placed top five and I that's when I was like and I think that might have been my third year Mm. It was my third year. And so I was like, this is, I'm like, I'm in it. I want to be Miss Missouri USA. Like, it's a huge deal. I was a role, I would be a role model for the entire state of Missouri. Um, I would get to go and compete at Miss USA. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, that's televised on Fox. Okay, no worries. (laughs) Um, And so it was just a, you know, it was a really awesome opportunity Mm. for me. Um, And then... So that was, like I said, my third year. I was addicted. I spent that entire next year, like, preparing, getting sponsorships from people locally, getting my name out there, um, working on, like, my physique. I've always been a very, like, skinny person, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to be, you know, super toned. That was just never something that I 
cared about previously. And so like really focused on my body image and everything. And then, um, this was my final year. So I guess it was four years. Um, I competed and I dropped back down to top 15. Mm. And I remember just being absolutely like crushed, you know, I like, I got the most beautiful gown. I got, um, outfits handmade for me. I was so prepared. I was so ready. I felt so good and dropping from top five to top 15. Granted, there were a lot more girls that year than previous mm-hmm. years. I don't want to like, make excuses, but um, that was just like crushing for me. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. Like, I'm not going to keep, you know, going through something. It costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy for me to continue to compare myself to these people. Um, and also, I had a little bit of like imposter syndrome in pageantry because as much as I did care about it, I also didn't let it like consume my life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the women that I competed with, I felt like it was like their only identity. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I almost felt as though I didn't belong because I didn't care enough Mm -hmm. about that. Yep. Um, and so when I dropped down to top 15, I was like, yeah, this is just, this, this, there's no point. I'm not going to keep you know, killing myself over mm-hmm. this one thing that even if I did get the title, like, yeah, it would be great, but how is this going to serve me, mm-hmm. you know, five, ten years down the road? Yeah. So I stopped. Um, but, yeah, I started that in high school. and That's a cool. long – so junior year, right? You said mm-hmm. junior year, senior year, so five years total, you said? So junior, senior – Four. Four. Okay. Four. That is a huge chunk of your – again, a very evolutionary part mm-hmm. of your life. Um so I want to ask this in, in conjunction with that experience for you, and you don't need to go into depth with this, whatever you're comfortable with, but like, was the relationship that you were in, like the dating relationship, because you were still in that during the pageantry, right? Yeah. Did you ever feel like that relationship negatively impacted your identity while you were trying to chase your goals with the pageantry? So like, and what I mean, in other words, is that you were excited about it, you were passionate did you ever, were you ever made to feel like, oh God, like I shouldn't be doing this. Like this is wrong of me. And so that was a conflicting identity thing? Um, not with pageantry, no. Okay. Um, that relationship never really affected what I did cool. with pageantry. Cool. Other things, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it, that was always a pretty supported thing okay, from cool. everyone around me. Good. Um, it was always a joke when I was younger because I've always been very tall and skinny. My dad always said, like, you should go into modeling. And so, like, that was just – it was me deciding to actually do something like that yeah. was very much supported by everyone Good. around me, which cool. was nice. So. Yeah. Well, and even, like, you just saying that other areas of your life, not pageantry maybe, were impacted by how other people made you feel with your identity, like – so even relationships can do that to us, like romantic relationships. And the youngest one, or the young ones that we learn about love with, yep. those can be really great, but they're all learning lessons. And I just remember you sharing instances of your life through that evolution in that relationship of how like it was tough. Um, you felt like you weren't allowed to do certain things that you could, you felt held back from. And that all does, that's all a factor of who we are as a person and like can help us. So when you feel restricted even further to do things just like you were as a kid in school and now other people in your life that you're choosing to be around are making you feel that way with certain elements of your life like that can be really daunting too so I didn't know if that was a if pageantry was one of those things so I was just curious 
And it, I mean, I've never really like explored it. It could have been an outlet for me too, mm. um, to do something different and be a part of something that like not a lot of people knew about. None of the people I did pageantry with were part of my core friend group, mm -hmm. my, you know, ex relationship. None, like he, he didn't know any of them. And so it was almost nice for me to just be a part of something. Yeah. Separated. It's like a completely new world. Yeah. So there, there could be a little bit of that behind it. I just never really thought, thought about, about it. it. Yeah. It's just, it's easy on the outsider's perspective, like hearing it and like putting mm -hmm. all these pieces together. Like it's, it's wild, but yeah, I mean, social relationships, whether platonic or romantic, like that can absolutely impact mm -hmm. a lot of things that we choose or don't choose to explore. So, mm -hmm. so pageantry is over. So now you're in your early, early, early twenties, like young, yes. young twenties. So take us to that chapter of your life. Yes. So, uh, I did go to college for a short period of time. Um, I have my associate's degree in health sciences. I did not finish my nursing degree um, because I got involved in direct sales um, where I worked for a multi-level marketing company. We all get sucked into those at some point, I feel like. <laughs> um, and when I was 19, I think that's, yeah, that was when I was 19. So I was still doing pageants at that time, but that's kind of like where my career started. Um, and I thought, you know, that I had everything figured out. I quit school. I quit my job. I, you know, pursued that full time. Um, and again, it was one of those things that like I look back on and I wish I could just like shake myself and be mm -hmm. like, you wanted to be a nurse your entire life. Mm -hmm. Why did you stop? You know, but mm -hmm. I wasn't making decisions based off of like what I wanted to do. I was making decisions based off of what I was seeing everybody else do. And I wanted to be the people that I was choosing to spend my time with in that, yeah. in that company. Um, and so I, I did that for like about two years. Um, and then I started to really like come into my own and realize like, this is not your future. I'm not going to talk poorly about the company by any means, but it just definitely was not for me. Um, it did teach me a lot about like what fulfills me in life and what I'm good, good at, but was not for me. Um, and so I stopped doing that. <clears throat> and then I started working at a apartment complex where I met you yes. as a leasing agent. Um, great group of women that I was able to work with. I, uh, I think that the, t like the two years that I worked there are probably the most like defining two years of my twenties. Um, because I worked with a lot of women that were older than me mm -hmm. and they could see the struggles that I was going through and they were never quiet about like wanting mm. to help me and offering advice. Good um, mentors. And I, I always trusted them and felt very supported by them. And so, um, you know, in those two years I made some really, really big life decisions. I moved out of my parents' house, got my own apartment with my ex, um, <clears throat> found out that didn't want to be with him anymore. So, um, and they helped me a lot through that. Like it was every day I came in and they would talk to me about how I could like f fulfill my life and live my life without being tied down by this mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so broke up with him, started dating Ethan. Um, and it was just like, the, like I said, the most pivotal two years of my early 20s I just felt like I really came into my own 
Um, I moved into my own apartment, completely paid for by myself, which was a huge, huge accomplishment as a 21 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, my boss at the time knew like that being a leasing agent was not what I was meant to be for the rest of my life. And so, um, she was very supportive when I decided to leave and get my first like corporate type of job. Um, and so since July of 2020, I have worked at a marketing firm in downtown mm -hmm. St. Louis. I've done a lot of different things there. Identity crisis. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's where I'm at now. Married to Ethan. Like I said, we've got a few dogs, a nice house. Um, so that's all a freaking perfect start to some of the questions. Like, as I heard you, I just kind of randomly thought of. So I apologize. We're going to backtrack a little bit and You're then totally progress fine. more. So I remember when we became friends mm -hmm. and like getting to know each other, like you talked about the nursing thing and like, yeah. so can you elaborate on like why nursing was your initial thought? Like what you're passionate about? Cause that isn't a, a career. We are, in my opinion, we go through school as a kid K through 12 because we are educated on how to be an adult in society and contribute with AKA being a career, right? What can we contribute to society with our skill set? So, um, that's a huge decision. So what was mm -hmm. nursing? What did that mean to you? What was your original plan and goal with that? So my love for being a nurse stemmed from when I was a kid, one of my closest cousins, I feel like we always have like cousins that we're like really, really close mm -hmm. with. Um, one of my closest cousins, he, somebody that like I grew up with, I spent, they lived in Chicago. I spent a lot of time with them. Um, and he was diagnosed with leukemia mm. at a super young age. Um, and he almost, he almost died. Um, and at that time, I think seeing like how much the medical professionals around him were able to help him, um, and like keep him comfortable while also like nursing him back to health was when I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, mm. I am not just nursing, but like specifically working with oncology patients. Mm -hmm. And so I held on to that for years. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up getting accepted into like the accelerated program yeah. of nursing at the college that I went to. Um, and I was full force, like I'm going to be a nurse. And I think I've always had a passion for being a fixer and... <clears throat> I'm not, this is going to sound bad, I'm not somebody that typically goes out of my way to help people, but I also, I, if I see you in front of me, like, struggling, I'm not, I'm, like, I want to fix you, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I started nursing school, and I got through, like, my general studies um, and started my first round of clinicals, and at the same exact time, I started doing direct sales. Mm. Um, and my identity was be a nursing mm -hmm. student, get your degree, be a nurse. Like that, that's what you're supposed to do. But I was being pulled completely in a different direction of like, you know, what you get preached when you join an MLM, you know, financial freedom at a young age, mm -hmm. being able to do what you want, the autonomy of making whatever choice you want to make, going wherever you want to go. Um, and as a 19 year old, I was like, that sounds awesome. Right. Um, free cars, like all of that jazz got to travel. And so 
that like the bright and shiny really overtook what I felt like I was meant to mm-hmm. do. Um, and so I quit, I quit nursing school and I've always been very stubborn and <laughs> very much like I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm pretty sure my parents probably, probably tried to tell me like, this is a dumb decision and I don't think I listened to them. <laughs> um, obviously. And so I, yeah, I quit. And then when I started dating Ethan, I really considered going back to, mm-hmm. n- to nursing school because um, I still felt like this is what I meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just never, I never did it. Yeah. And here we are. Yep. Seven years later, still yeah. not a nurse. Well, everything <laughs> ha- happens for a reason. I think yeah. that's, I mean, a lot of people, especially like high school students about to enter that new chapter of their life with college or otherwise trades or, you know, trying yeah. like, again, evolving into who they think they should be at that time for the world. Um, and I remember you when we first met, when you talked a lot about that journey with free with nursing school, um, I remember you specifically saying that you learned the value of money and you were like money hungry. And like, that was a big, which a lot of people, I am too. Unfortunately, yep. my profession will never satisfy that dream. Of, so yeah, my, my dream of being a teacher, I knew that was, you know, being money hungry was never a thing. Who doesn't want money? Who isn't money hungry? Right. So like not knocking that aspect, but I was enamored by you at such a young age that you were to have those visions because yes, you wanted to be a nurse and you switched gears, which is totally fine for someone like you who had an outline of what you wanted to do. Like you have, you had proactive goals in place. Mm -hmm. Like other, a lot of people in the world will just give up on their alleged dream, right. That they Mm -hmm. had all their life and think of something new that they want to do, but they have no idea where to start. So I was always very, you know, drawn to you at that. Like, I just loved how young you were and you were able to do that. So I don't think there absolutely is nothing wrong with the fact that you switched gears because, and you're, again, you're still in that field. Yeah. Now, Mary Kay, mm-hmm. when did, when was that part? Was that in between kind of this? So that's the direct sales. So that was, um, night uh that was like 19 to 21 years old is when I did that Mm -hmm. and I met you when you were like 20 21 I remember because you'd been doing it Mm -hmm. and because Shelby introduced me to you and you guys are doing it together yeah so talk about that a little bit like Mary Kay what that was like for you and what identity you put into that yeah so um (laughs) Mary Kay is (laughs) I mean, everyone knows it as, like, you know, the old makeup that maybe, like, your mom and grandma used to wear. Um, But it is – it's a direct sales company. It's a multi-level marketing company. Therefore, um, I don't like using the word pyramid scheme, but it it is. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you get preached, like, you know, you can be financially free at this age. You can make great choices, blah, 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 blah. You just have to recruit X amount of people, sell X amount of product, get them underneath you, and then Mm -hmm. the more money they make, the more money they sell, the more money you make, blah, 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 blah. And Mm -hmm. so, to me, not – I think this is where, like, I really defined myself as, like, a salesperson Mm -hmm. because I was like, yeah, I can do that easy. Like, I can convince people all day long that this is going to be, like, the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. And I did. I did just that. Um, and I got a lot, you know, I got a lot of people to follow me in that journey. Um, and I became a director of sales, um, at Mary Kay, which really just means that I convinced 60 women that they needed to sell it underneath Mm -hmm. me. Dang. Um, That's so impressive. I suck at sales. Yeah. But looking back on it, I just, 
like I just didn't know what the heck I was doing you know like it was just such a like just such a foreign thing for me mm. like I went into random people's homes that I had never met before to meet with them about this business opportunity and I took trips so randomly to like all different types of places across the U.S. Like, I was 19. I had no business doing half mm. the stuff that I was doing. But I was also 19, making, like, 60 grand a year, which right. as a 19-year-old, you're like, dang, I'm doing Who wouldn't be myself. money hungry after experiencing right. that? Um, I got, you know, the two free cars. Uh, free cars. Um, oh, my gosh. And so it was great while I did it, but then I started to really take a step back and realize like this is not what I want my life to look like you know like I never hung out with anybody that wasn't a part of Mary Kay and it mm. was almost like it almost felt like I wasn't allowed to you know mm. um and I was I never was like public about using products that weren't Mary Kay because that's like frowned upon mm, mm -hmm. and you know you always had to be put together your hair done your makeup done your outfit nice like just all of the things and like trust me, I don't mind like getting glammed up and stuff, but that's just not me. You mm -hmm. know, like there are days where I would like to rot in bed all day yeah. and look like an absolute <laughs> yes. scrub and not be judged for it, you know? And it just, at the time, I do think that it has evolved a little bit, but at the time I just, I felt very much like it almost goes back to like how I felt in Catholic yep. school. Like it, I just, I had to be one way and, box. and I had to listen to everything that was being preached to us. And we would go to these big conventions and seminars and they would talk about all of this like powerful, incredible stuff. And I was so moved. And then I would get home and share this information with like my, you know, relationship at the time or my parents. And I remember them all just being enamored with like, this is bizarre said mm -hmm. me like this is not mm. get out yeah of here. and so I eventually started to believe them and I remember the day that I decided to quit I called my I guess she was my director mentor whatever mm -hmm. and I always had a lot of respect for her you know she was also young owned a home her husband and her were doing well she drove the pink Cadillac she was always wearing nice things she shopped at nice stores whatever and so and she was great people. Like, I hung out with her a lot. Um, I remember calling her just, like, sobbing because mm. I had made the decision to step down and not do it anymore. And I felt so, like, guilty and, like, I was betraying her. And I think back at that and I'm like, why were you so upset? Like, you were making a decision for yourself. But at the time, I didn't feel like that. I felt like I was letting someone down and giving up mm -hmm. and quitting, if you will. Yeah. Um, but the second I was able to do that and not be a part of that, I felt free, mm. like just different. I could just, I could post what I wanted to post when I wanted to post it. I could wear what I wanted to wear when I wanted to wear it. I could be okay with buying cosmetics at Ulta and Sephora yeah. and not get shamed for it. Um, but what came with that experience is my like, wanting to always make a lot of money mm -hmm. um because I you know I saw a lot of people make a lot of money but also in that time I got myself into some really really shitty sorry okay. um financial situations you know I learned what credit cards were mm -hmm. um but I wasn't taught how to use them properly so I got myself into some really bad debt mm -hmm. um and to me like paying 
for my life and paying off debt was by far more important than doing something I loved with Mm. my life. Mm -hmm. And so that's where like the decision to not be a nurse kind of came from is because like I respect nursing and I love nursing and if I could be a nurse tomorrow, like I would, but at the time it just didn't, it didn't align with the goals that I had because I had to get myself out of certain situations. You know, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but like my parents weren't the wealthiest growing up. They always provided me with everything that I needed. You know, Mm -hmm. I never was without, um, but I want to be able to, I want, I've always wanted to be able to provide the kids that I have with the life that I maybe didn't have. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's wrong of me, but like, um, I just, being able to be financially free and financially stable has by far always been the most important thing to Mm -hmm. me, even though I'm not smart with my money, like (laughs) at all, by far, like not at all. I would, if I used to joke when I was younger, if I had $15 left in my bank account and I had a choice between buying a new shirt and filling up my gas tank, I would absolutely buy a new shirt. Like I do think that's things that are going to boost my serotonin levels Mm -hmm. for like five minutes, but I've started to learn, you know, you know, as I've grown what's smart and what's not, but I've always had that lingering thought in the back of my mind of like, nothing's more important than being able to financially afford your life and pay for everything and eventually be free of debt. And so I made a lot of decisions in the last, I would say five, six years career wise, just based off of where I was at financially Mm -hmm. and not focusing on what's actually going to make me happy and make me feel good. It's just what's going to, what's going to pay the bills and what's going to make sure that I'm debt free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is also commendable. I mean, there's a lot of adults that do not think that way either. You know, they, you know, do things that make them happy. Like my job, I've had to have what, six jobs since I started my career just to like afford the things that I want. Granted, I haven't ever lived a life where I had to live within my means because I've always had extra jobs to have that extra cash to buy things that I want. Um, but now at age 32, I'm finally at a point where I like, I, I just quit both of my university jobs. Like I, I need to learn tis time for me to adult and learn what it's like to live within my means. I have to learn to budget and be, um, mentally and emotionally more stable with having that extra piece in my day. Like I don't have to go grade 500 things. I don't have to go be at a meeting. I don't have to go teach. Like I do my, you know, seven to three, I can come home, take a nap, go play with Stella. Um, but I can't go out to dinner. You know, it's those Mm -hmm. things I have to, I'm ready to learn that. But my point in saying that as an example in comparison is again, like just maximizing on the fact that that is commendable. Like I, I wish I had learned that skill earlier on in life of the importance of budgeting because I did the opposite. I've never budgeted because I've just always worked more. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to. And then I could just whimsically go do what I wanted. You yeah. know, which I am grateful for, but it's proven my it's crashed me. It's crashed and burned my mental health, emotional, all that because I've just been so busy mm-hmm. and I never knew what that piece meant. So I think that's really commendable and a really good point. And I also wanted to mention like highlight what you said bringing back the identity thing like how you just joked and said that if I had $15 left, I'd buy a t-shirt over filling up my gas tank. That just brought me, as soon as you said that, not only a giggle, because that's funny, but also truth to that of you being little Sydney, and you always wanted that shirt Mm -hmm. or whatever that you couldn't have when you were comparing yourself to the people that were around you at Catholic school. So all of your decisions 
one million percent trail back to like your upbringing and the experiences you've had. So to just tie that together, that was a perfect flow. Um, and that makes the world of sense. It's Mm -hmm. wild. Like when you think about those little Mm -hmm. nuggets Mm -hmm. that impact who you are today. So let's, um, where you're at today now, like your career. So Mm -hmm. marketing and like you and I have talked about just other goals that you have, but now you're at a different stage of like, I want to be a mom. Mm -hmm. So where is your head at now with all this identity and newness for you? So I would say like going back to your point of like, you wish you had that skill. Yes. It's a nice skill that it's not necessarily that I had a skill. It it was just that I never made decisions based off of what's going to make me happy in the future. I only made decisions based off of what's going to provide me with the financial stability that I need. Mm-hmm. And even then it never did because I was always so stupid with my money. Mm-hmm. And so don't think that I am <laughs> ahead of you in that because I'm definitely not. Um, but I think that, you know, where I'm at right now, I, I would say the last year of my life, I have really, really come into what I want to do with my life. Um, and I, part of like my identity crisis if you will is that I obsess over like what am I supposed to be doing with my life and like Mm -hmm. who am I supposed to be where am I supposed to work what am I supposed to do um and over the last year I've really taken a step back and like reassured myself that I'm 26 years old and I have plenty of time to figure that out Mm -hmm. um but it's that I think that's like the hardest thing for me and the reason that so I've, I've been at this marketing group for five no not five years almost four years and I've done six different positions mm-hmm. um Jeez. which is crazy mm-hmm. um because I'm always looking for like the next best thing and I will do a position because I think that like it's going to provide me with more financial st- stability but then it doesn't provide me with the autonomy to decide what I want to do with my life Mm -hmm. or have work-life balance or flexibility. And so over the course of the last year, I, uh, in December last year, decided to step into a pretty big role at work um, to where I was a director of a division at our our work. Uh, We had three directors in this division, so I wasn't the only one, but I had um, a team of people, probably about 50 people underneath me at all times. It was five mid-level managers, five like lower than mid-level managers, and then like 40 um, sales representatives, Mm -hmm. basically entry-level roles. Um, And I thought like, this is going to be so fulfilling for me. I'm going to be able to do what I love because I do love leadership. Like I'm, that's, I think the most fulfilling part of my career thus far um, I'm going to be able to develop people. I'm going to be able to work with managers and grow their skill set, you know, sharpen their, their tools and stuff. But I made the decision to do that based off of the money that would come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and trust me, like the money that came with it was great. You know, I would not take it back, but it's not what I was meant to do with my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think that leadership is great and I'm good at it. However, what's more fulfilling to me is being able to have autonomy and go home and not worry about 
50 people's well-being Mm -hmm. and just focus on my husband and my dogs and you know the things that actually bring me happiness and so over the course of the last year I really realized that like my career is never what's going to make me happy Mm -hmm. no matter what I do Mm -hmm. you know like I I think there's certain things that I could do that would bring me a lot of joy but it's never going to be the thing that makes me feel like I've got it figured out. I'm never going to have an identity from what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really realized that this year. And so, like, I took a pretty big step back. Um, I'm doing a training job now where I'm basically a school teacher um, (laughs) for new hires. And it's great. You know, it's fulfilling. Um, I'm able to develop people and train people, which is what I'm good at. But... It's something that I don't have to stress about and I don't have to worry about and I don't have to, you know, we've talked about this before, but like I'm an empathetic person. And so Mm -hmm. when I was working with someone as a director, if they were struggling with something inside, outside of work, like I took that on Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't have to do that anymore. Like I'm able to focus on what I want to do. And is Mm -hmm. this position my end all be all? No, Mm -hmm. not at all. Um, I, I would be more than happy to find a job where I can work, you know, fully remote and Mm -hmm. make decisions and be at home, you know, just like, but it is something that is bringing me more joy and letting me focus on the more important things in life because, um, yeah, I mean, I do want to be a mom. There's, I've, I've told Ethan before, but like, there's, there's one thing I know that I was put on this earth to do and it's to be a mom and that's it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what else will bring me the amount of joy. Then why am I getting, I am (laughs) teared up. I feel it too. Then, um, being a mom, like that's, that's the only thing. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I made decisions over the course of the last year to make that, happen Mm -hmm. you know I've taken a step back from work Ethan and I have focused really heavily on improving our financial state um and just you know being smart about what we're doing and I've been vocal about that you know Mm -hmm. to people inside and outside of work that like there's just nothing else that's going to make me feel more at ease and okay than when I have a baby happens so that gave me goosebumps. I, I just got like waves and waves of them the whole time you said that because when you just, let's rewind a few moments, you said like, I'll never have that thing, that fulfilling thing in my job. And I was going to ask you, what is that thing? Like, do you know what that thing is? Because I just did an episode, like a solo episode on career, like occupational health and like my journey. Like I'm someone who has always known since age of five, like I'm going to be a teacher. Like I want, like I just, I have had that thing and that fulfillment. Yes. I've had ups and downs with the career itself, but like I've never not known what I was called to do. And a lot of people in the world may be able to relate to that, but I know there's a hell of a lot of people that don't know what that feels like. And I can't relate to that, but that's my thing. And I can't even put words to how to describe what that thing is. But then you just answered the question I was going to answer, Mm -hmm. ask you about, because the thing for you is being a mom. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) Because that's beautiful. It really is. Like you've gone your whole young life still. You're still so young and vibrant and have so much ahead of you, like you said. But it's like you went all this time chasing after things that 
you were thinking would fulfill you, which we all do. Like that's part of growing is learning and trying new things, which is again, commendable. And then not getting that and not getting that and maybe feeling even empty at times of like, it just lost, maybe not empty, but tapping into that hard feeling of just unsureness and the unknown. Right. Yeah. But you know what it is. Yeah. You just, you still have a journey to get there and you will a hundred percent, but it's like, that is the thing for you. It, <laughs> truly like that says that gave me goosebumps yeah yeah I mean and it it's not something that I have really like thought of or given time or energy to until recently but like you know turning 26 for me I was like okay dang I'm like closer to 30 than I am to 20 so it's yeah. time to figure out like Sydney what do you want to do with your life yeah um and I just, there's, there's literally nothing that I could do with my life that would make me feel fulfilled or make me feel like I'm fulfilling a destiny other than being a mom. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I'm making decisions to make that dream come true. And when that happens, like, I'm not going to allow or let my career or whatever the hell else, like, get in my way. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Now it's just a waiting game. <laughs> yeah, and still learning, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you are always, again, another commendable thing of who you are at such a young age is you've always, um, you've been very resourceful. Like, even in the short stint of time that I've known you just past five years, like, you have shown me so much of how resourceful you are. And people who are in their young adult life don't know how to be resourceful today. They just expect things to drop in their laps and things to be handed to them or just the first person they talk to to have all the answers and you have to dig you have to put yourself you have to have a fire in your ass or under your ass to like go mm-hmm. after those things and you've always been that way and it, it led you exactly to the answer that you've really been soul searching for all of this time about yeah. who you are and I think a lot of us again I mentioned this in my career episode the other day that so many of us put our entire identity into our career like because that's what education like I said earlier is meant to it's developing you for your identity of what you're supposed to do which is a career and what if I lost my job tomorrow and I'm no longer a teacher like that can't be my only identity right right like you we are so many different things there just are other things that are more important Mm -hmm. that we want to put more energy of that you know identity particularly into so that whole evolution for you from childhood to this that we just talked about is so authentic and pure and relatable for so many people. And it's really refreshing to hear somebody talk about an identity that is not just their career. Like, it's just yeah. so foreign. It's very foreign. To a lot of people. Yeah. So, and again, at the young age that you are, like, it's just so beautiful. So, A, thank you for sharing all of that. That was so incredible and impactful and emotional. (laughs) Um, so my last couple questions for you, like, so let's think about listening population, right? So like middle school kids dealing with identity, high school, early college, and then now maybe even mid twenties, like what are some kind of closing thoughts, like maybe advice or what would you say to even little Sydney, you know, just things that you would end on. I would say that comparing yourself and doing things to try to be like those around you, no matter how hard you try and what you do and how much happiness it brings you for the short term is like never going to be worth the 
the heartache and, you know, the, the issues that comes with just not being yourself and not owning who you are and the decisions that you make. And I know that may be like a little broad, but it's just, I think talking about like middle school, I've got two siblings that are 15. And so Mm -hmm. I see like what they're going through and the difference between who they were when they were just sweet young children that loved me so much to who they are now. (laughs) And I'm like, but it's, and it's, it's all because like they, God love them are easily influenced by those around them. And like, I have no idea, you know, who the hell they're going to be or what they want to be. But some of the decisions I see them make, I'm like, this just isn't you, you know, this isn't like you, but how can it not be when you've got so many people around you mm-hmm. that are showing you that this is cool and fun and the, the thing to do. And so I think it's so cliche, but like when you're a kid and you feel uneasy about something or you feel unsure, you just, you know, the feeling isn't good about something listen to that and let that take over and don't do something or act a certain way or be someone just because it's like the cool thing to do like really own who you are Mm -hmm. um because when you're 20 25 years old none of that is gonna matter Mm -hmm. um 30 you know when you're an adult it's not gonna matter that you hung out with the cool kids in sixth grade like that just doesn't matter Mm -hmm. um and so I think yeah just be yourself own who you are and be proud of it and I I will say like we're evolving as a society and I think we are getting to a point where we're never going to be there fully but we're talking about stuff like this and so it's it's people are more okay with being themselves now Mm -hmm. and being different um more way more so than when we were kids Mm -hmm. um so I hope it just continues in that direction but the same would go for high school have fun you know make good choices Mm -hmm. um but own who you are and like you know when you're deciding to go to college go to to, go to a school that is going to serve you don't go to a school because all your friends are going to that school and don't research yeah don't go into a career field because the rest of your friends are like Again, none of that shit's going to matter mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and then same for, you know, college students and young 20s. Like, just just make smart, educated decisions. Don't let the sheep mentality, like, rule mm-hmm. who you are as a person. I like how you said, like... Um, pause just like with kids latching on to things that make them feel accepted like how Mm -hmm. you said that way earlier like with when you went to the public school for the first time and you just kind of latched on to the first group that made you feel and that's very normal and we all do that who doesn't want to feel accepted and who doesn't want to feel loved and like appreciated and valued for who you are at who at your lowest and highest right that's the ultimate goal um but I love how you you really explained that well, that point, um, throughout your entire story of like, you did latch onto that friend group, um, because at the time that's what you needed. And I mm-hmm. think that's really important for kids to know in young adults, like even in college, that's a whole new chapter. Like in high school, you may have a good identity, you know, definition of yourself at that time, but then you go to college and you are meeting so many other people and you might latch onto a different group. But I love how you specifically said like making informed, educated decisions 
that feel right to you. Like mm-hmm. we're going to make mistakes, make mistakes. We're going to fall we're, but when we need to, yep. right? We need to have that, those bad things happen to us and the regret feelings to help develop those informed decisions better in the future. So I think that was tremendous advice of saying that, like just be who you are unapologetically at the phase of life that you're in mm-hmm. and learn from that. Like what served you in that particular identity? What did you harm? And grow and grow and grow and continue to develop further and give yourself grace, right? Like give yourself grace for the eyeliner that you wore. We have to have a picture. Come on. We have to. I don't. There's just no way. You're really good at makeup. Can you like recreate the look one time? That'd be amazing. Just for you. Just for you. Yes. Well, thank you so much. You did seriously. You You did absolutely perfect. Thank you. conclude this illuminating journey into the realm of emotional health i want to express my deepest gratitude to our special guest sydney for generously sharing her transformative story with us her openness and candor have undoubtedly made a lasting impact and i hope you our listeners found as much inspiration in her journey as i did now as we wrap up i want to leave you with five keys to level up your own well-being number one embrace your uniqueness Your journey is uniquely yours, and embracing your authentic self is the first step towards emotional well-being. Embrace the quirks, the differences, and the things that make you, you. Number two, cultivate self-compassion. Be kind to yourself. Understand that growth is a process, and setbacks are a natural part of life. Treat yourself with the same kindness and understanding that you would offer to a friend. Number three, define your own path. Don't be afraid to forge your own path. Society may have expectations, but true fulfillment comes from pursuing what aligns with your passions and values. Define success on your terms. Number four, nurture genuine connections. Surround yourself with people who uplift and support you. Genuine connections with others play a crucial role in emotional health development. Cultivate relationships that allow you to be your truest self. And number five, prioritize self-care. Take intentional steps to care for your mental and emotional well-being. Whether it's through mindfulness practices, hobbies, or simply taking time for yourself, prioritizing self-care is an essential part of your routine. Remember guys, your emotional health is an ongoing journey and these keys are here to guide you as you continue to level up in your own life, particularly if you are someone or may know someone who struggles with self-identification and purpose issues. Thank you once again for being here. Your presence adds depth and meaning to this community. If you found value in today's exploration, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, I'm eager to hear from you. Reach out via email or Instagram to share your thoughts, feedback, or to suggest topics that you'd love to explore together. Your input shapes the future episodes of the After Contract Hours podcast. Until next time, take care, stay inspired, and keep evolving. Your well-being matters, and within it, you hold the extraordinary power to shape a life of purpose and fulfillment, which I am here by your side for every step of the way. See you next week.